Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. And I am Ron Martin. We begin today's show with heavy hearts as we remember the tragedy of 9-11 that happened 10 years ago today. Our hearts and prayers go out to all those who lost loved ones that day, and we hope that as a nation we would not forget the lessons learned that day. However, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time focusing on 9-11 today, but we're going to talk about a different topic. We're going to talk about faith and skepticism. There's this modern preconception that faith is contradictory to data and that faith and science do not mix. Nothing could be further from the truth. Some of that sentiment was first articulated by Hume, who said that if something is not true by definition or empirically verifiable, you should commit it to the flames. What he failed to recognize is that very statement is not true by definition, nor empirically verifiable, (laughs) and should also be committed to the flames. It is a useless statement. All knowledge, whether it's scientific or philosophical or you name it, is based on certain key assumptions. We cannot get to the point where we believe that there is no faith aspect in truth or in science or in data or in reality. Faith plays a key role in all of those, and there is no knowledge without faith. Well, the thing that's interesting, Nate, is we live in a society today that is absolutely consumed with knowledge, but somehow reaching the conclusion erroneously, I think, that knowledge equals truth. Faith as a working mechanism of human rationality is a very big part, not only of religious life, but also of non-religious life. Science itself makes certain assumptions. Those in themselves are actions of faith. And yet, when we think of it in our secular world of moving away from a position of things to do with faith, we want to deny them and just simply push them to the background and not deal with them as faith statements. Faith is a huge part of our human existence, a part of our lives, how we live, how we operate with each other. And I just love to question people about their systems of faith because all of it has to do with this idea of belief in things that aren't necessarily verifiable, aren't necessarily empirical, but huge in our interoperation with each other. Faith and knowledge are mutually complementary. They work together. The more you know something the stronger your faith will be in that area. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're about to rappel off a cliff, and I tell you, I think this rope might hold you. Are you going to back off that cliff? Probably not. (laughs) You're going to say, absolutely not. Your lack of knowledge will lead you to a lack of faith. However, if I were to tell you this rope has been tested and it is guaranteed to hold 1,000 pounds, Most likely, unless you weigh a 1,000 pounds, you're going to back off that cliff with a tremendous amount of faith in the capacity of that rope to hold you. Your knowledge is enhancing your faith and your ability to trust that that rope will hold you. Also, imagine a scientist who had no faith whatsoever in the scientific method. How far would he get in his scientific pursuits? Not far. What if he had no faith and the conclusions that had been arrived at by scientists before him and had to rework all their conclusions. Again, he would get nowhere. But his faith in the scientific method, his faith 
and all the foundations that have been laid before him allow him to actually make contributions to the knowledge of science. So his faith would be increasing his knowledge and his ability to impact the scientific community. Faith and knowledge should work together, and this idea that they are mutually exclusive is incorrect. In fact, they usually and should work together and support each other. Mm. You know, it's interesting, Nate, talking about this idea of backing off that cliff with that rope. It's a perfect illustration. In philosophy, we make three distinctive statements about different kinds of faith. The first one is called notitia, and that means that we just take note of the fact. We can look at that rope, and we can see that it was built to a standard rating capacity of 1,000 pounds. We take note of that. That's called notitia. I put a certain amount of faith that the people that manufactured this rope made it to that standard. And that's a good thing. The second level is what we call a census, and that is faith in a conclusion. We could actually at that point watch another person go down the cliff with that rope and make the conclusion that rope is actually capable of holding that person's weight. We see the conclusion, we assent to that kind of conclusion and say, aha, it works, it must be safe. The last kind of faith is called fides. And this is the kind of faith that says, I go beyond the fact, I go to the point of trust, where I would actually lower myself down that very same rope. Even though those other two kinds of faith are legitimate and valid, it doesn't really apply to me until I take that act of faith for myself, trusting that rope to hold my life safe and go down that cliff. And this is very much how religious faith works. We see people that would take note of various religious systems, and maybe they find some of them attractive, maybe they find some of them repulsive, but they take note. There's a certain amount of faith there that they would say, I believe that that religion offers a system of thought or a system of ideas that would be noteworthy. Then they can see the ascensus part of it, the conclusion that, well, this may or may not work for another person. They would watch their activities in that religion. They would watch their activities of that person in regard to their faith. But they still wouldn't do anything about it themselves. Fides says that they're willing to engage in that kind of faith for themselves and to place trust in that religious system or that system of thought. And that's where religious faith, particularly in the area of Christianity, becomes so important because we still see a lot of people that take note of Christianity. They might even see Christianity at work in somebody else's life. But the challenge is for them to go to that place of true faith and explore the claims of Christianity as a valid worldview, as a system of belief, uh, belief in a personal God and the person of Jesus Christ, and say, I'm trusting that for myself. Faith is pretty much just believing and living like your worldview is true. Do you really believe what you believe is true? If you do, it's going to come out in your life. Now, I want to talk about this misconception again, this idea that faith and science cannot live together. I was watching Stephen Hawking's new series, Curiosity, on the Discovery Channel recently and saw the first episode, which asked the question, did God create the universe? Even Hawking, this phenomenal scientist, was making the claim that the more science grows and the more we know, the less place there is for faith. And it's an absolutely crazy assumption and conclusion because faith plays a role in all of that. 
he also went on to mention the story of Galileo. And he talked about how Galileo was put on trial by the church because his conclusions differed from what the church believed, which, of course, is not really what happened at all. It's bad history. <laughs> I would encourage you to read What's So Great About Christianity by Dinesh D'Souza, where he actually spends an entire chapter discussing what really happened with Galileo. He actually said some nasty things about the Pope and got in trouble for it. <laughs> it wasn't so much his findings in science that got him in trouble with the church, but rather it was his gossip about the Pope that got him into trouble. But mm. that story in itself has created this misconception that there is no way for knowledge and data and science to live with faith in mm. any sense of the word. So as we discuss faith, I wanted to start by saying, what is the role of science? Because I think it's important for us to clear this up. Science deals with the natural material universe. The scientific method applies only to the observable empirical universe around us. By definition, it can tell me nothing about anything that lies outside of that empirical universe. And, in fact, it can tell me nothing about whether or not a spiritual universe exists or anything about that spiritual universe that might exist. So a true scientist would quickly admit that concerning the question of God and say with integrity, science can't touch that issue. There are ways that science can lead us towards God. The empirical data can point us in the direction of faith, but faith is not undermined by science and vice versa. The two overlap in certain areas, but at the same time, they are not mutually exclusive. And that's a great way to put it, Nate. I was watching a show last week on TV, and I was amazed at what I heard because they had their, their news program science editor talking about something to do with the space shuttle and some of the discoveries that have been made with the, in the space program. And at the end of his report, he made this statement, this is all good science, and science is truth. And as I watched that show, I caught myself thinking, wow, that's quite a jump to go from science as the discovery of fact to this idea of science as truth. Truth as a philosophical concept would never limit itself just to natural phenomenon. The idea of, of arriving at truth assumes that you have all the facts involved in every category of knowledge, that which would be physical and non-physical, or what we would call material and spiritual. And to say that science is truth was a huge leap of faith by this individual. And this just exemplifies the tension that goes on in our world, in the media and in the scientific community and in the religious community, of this confusion of terms of what is true as compared to what is factual and how to distinguish between the two. And this is why so many people feel that there is no overlap between these two issues of science and faith. Yet, science cannot operate without making certain statements based on faith alone. Assumptions that are made in observations and calculations, all of this is based on, in a very real way, this idea of notitia, a certain faith in facts that haven't been verified yet but become elements to conclusions in ongoing scientific experiments. 
What's interesting is that atheism is a logical fallacy because it is impossible to make an absolute universal negation about something. You cannot say such and such does not exist anywhere in the known universe until you have all the knowledge in the entire known universe, which is impossible for any human being. So it would be impossible for me, for example, to say that God does not exist or that there is no place for faith. Now, what's interesting is some of the atheists that I've debated get around this logical fallacy, Ron, by saying I'm a philosophical agnostic. Because what do you have to do to prove that you're an agnostic? Just that you don't know. Pretty simple position to Mm -hmm. prove and to support. So they say I'm a philosophical agnostic, but a practicing atheist. Even though I can't say there is no God, I live like there is no God. Which brings us back to the definition of faith, which is living as if your worldview is true. So as soon as they say I'm a practicing atheist, they're telling me, I don't care what they said about being a philosophical agnostic, they are living their life as if there is no God, which shows me their core belief, which is a logical fallacy that there is no God. I like to ask them, so you're living your life according to a logical fallacy, They never like it when it's put that way. But the (laughs) bottom line is that we can never get to a place where we say faith does not play a role in life. Faith has no place in modern society. That's a bogus statement. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR, 91.9 FM and 93.9 FM here in Durango, and KDUR.org, and we're talking about the issue of faith. So far, we've been discussing the reality that faith and science and knowledge and data are not mutually exclusive, but they both play a fundamental role in our lives on a daily basis. You mentioned this idea of the conflict that goes on in the atheist mind, and and I've met a lot of atheists who are genuinely honest about this, and they'll say, yes, we really do fall into the category of agnostics, which means we don't have all the facts. And what's interesting about atheism in its current modality as it's being presented in the media and with a lot of people I talk to is they'll make the statement that goes something like this. Yes, I'm an agnostic and I don't have all the facts, but atheism is true. And they'll make that immediate jump. It's like the person that says, I am absolutely sure that there are no absolute truths. I spoke with a fellow on the airplane a few weeks ago about this, and it was a very similar conversation. He made that statement verbatim. I am absolutely sure there are no absolute truths. And I said, do you realize that you've posited a statement to me that is contradictory? And he said, no, I didn't. And I said, well, yes, you did. And he said, no, I didn't. And I said, so in your view, you can absolutely say there are no absolute truths. And when he heard me repeat it back to him, he actually looked at me and said, well, that doesn't make sense. And that's the problem. It doesn't make sense. He wasn't willing to concede the fact that somewhere in that gap between a few facts and all facts, he's got to rely on faith somehow, some way. And once we recognize that, we actually had a very good conversation about what faith is and how it works in the life of an individual. And he was very intrigued to go down that path, having dropped some of his harshness in his position. I find this all the time, again, in our world as the media portrays people of faith in a bad light. They're portrayed with very broad brushes of generalization and sometimes even accusation. And it brings us to the idea as we wind down this show of what is biblical faith? What does it mean according to the Bible, uh, according to Christian teaching, 
to actually place your faith in God? And I think the easiest answer to that is that it goes beyond the facts about my worldview and even to the conclusion that I would see in others and go back to the idea of fides as real genuine faith of coming to a point where I can actually say, I want to trust God. I want to trust in the truth of who God is. And this is something that the Bible embraces and even encourages for people, as we talked about with the last show about doubt, to embrace their doubts and bring their doubts with them to the place of exploration of who Jesus is, what the Bible claims is true, and work in that model to say, I'll actually trust God. G.K. Chesterton put it this way, The mere questioner has knocked his head against the limits of human thought and cracked it. The fact that he doubts everything gets in his way when he wants to denounce anything. For all denunciation implies a moral doctrine of some kind. By rebelling against everything, he has lost his right to rebel against anything. Hmm. The reality is that faith plays a role in your worldview, guaranteed. No matter what your worldview is, faith plays a role in it. Now, my challenge to you is, is your faith placed in the right thing? Is it placed in the right arena? Is it based on the right facts and on the truth? That's the question we should all ask ourselves. Mm-hmm. Where is my faith directed? And is it put in the right direction? Is it put in the right thing? And that is fundamentally what we want to talk about when we talk about faith. Faith is not conjuring up a feeling of conviction. When we talk about putting our faith in God, it is not just feeling with all my might that it's true. It's a lot deeper than that. It's an act of my will where I say I've searched and I've looked and I've come to the conclusion that you are true, that the Bible is true, that I really am a sinner that really does need a Savior and that Jesus really is God in human flesh who came and he lived a perfect life and he died for my sins and he made a way for me to have peace with God and he says that if I put my trust in him, he will give me eternal life and a life of purpose here and now on this planet. Now, when I come to the place of realizing that, yes, I believe what you say, and then I choose as an act of my will to put my trust in him, even like we said last week, if there is some unresolved doubt, but I'm choosing to make a step and say, I trust you, Jesus. That's really what faith is at its core. It is a step of faith. It is a step of trust saying, I am going to trust you because you have proven yourself to be true. C.S. Lewis once made the statement, If ours is an examined faith, we should be unafraid to doubt. If doubt is eventually justified, we were believing what was clearly not worth believing and should reject it. But if doubt is answered, our faith is stronger and takes us to a place of knowing God more certainly and enjoying God more deeply. The more I thought about this, the more I really saw the impact of what C.S. Lewis was saying. He was looking at all other religious systems. We've spoken before how other religious systems don't encourage questions and they don't encourage doubt. In Christianity, as we bring our doubts to who God is, to who the Bible is, how truth works in our world, and most importantly, to who Jesus is and what he did in his life and death on this earth and his resurrection from the dead, If that faith is justified, 
then we actually enter into a relationship with the God of the universe. And no other religion offers this. There is a set of dogma that you are expected to accept. There is a standard of behavior that you must comply with. But only Christianity says, bring those doubts and explore the truth. And the result is a relationship with God that moves forward. Peter experienced this in his second letter in the New Testament after his experiences of living with Jesus and spreading the news of Jesus throughout the ancient world. He wrote in his second letter, chapter one, that we should actually be adding to our faith moral excellence. Into that moral excellence, we would add knowledge. Into that knowledge, self-control and self-control perseverance. This idea of developing character as a result of doubt, as a result of more faith, is, in a sense, the crown jewel of Christianity. To say that we just don't make an affirmation of belief and stop, but we make an affirmation of belief and trust in a living God, and we start living life, that sense of enjoying God, that sense of exploring the truth of our world. This is what Jesus offered, and this is what Christianity proposes as a worldview that we actually start at the place of faith and move forward and enjoy God. I find nothing else in comparative religion that makes this kind of claim, and I certainly find nothing in science that offers this kind of comfort to human beings. Science can only bring the facts. There is no ultimate truth in that. Our rationality and our spiritual nature as those created in God's image actually draw us closer to the idea of God. And that's where we find the Christian message saying, bring to me, as Jesus said, all your burdens, all your doubts, all your hopelessness, and find rest in me. And that's where life begins. And that's just the first step, like you mentioned. We come to Christ with a confident step of faith. And I say a confident step of faith to contrast with what is typically referred to as a leap of faith. We look at the data, we look at the evidence, we realize that the Bible and all that it says is trustworthy and that we can trust Jesus Christ and all that he has promised us, and we take that confident initial step of faith to trust him. My faith does not save me. I could have all the faith in the world in, you name it, (laughs) my atheist friends talk about the flying spaghetti man, (laughs) so I could have all the faith in the world in the flying spaghetti man, and it's not going to help me out very much. But when I choose to put my faith in what is true, I can access what Jesus offers. So the Bible tells us that we are saved by grace through God's work and his free gift through putting my trust in him, through faith. Scripture continues that it is not from myself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So faith is huge to God. It's important to God because it's the way that we experience his salvation. The Bible also tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God and that we live by faith, not by sight. That doesn't mean that we don't live without observing data. That doesn't mean that we don't live in a scientific way. What it means is that I know what is true as revealed in God's word, and I'm going to live that way even if my desires and my emotions tell me to do otherwise. Even when somebody cuts in front of me and I'm tempted to run them off the road, (laughs) I know, Scripture says, to love that person. So by faith, I walk by faith in love rather than by sight in anger. 
So let's say you've just taken that first step of faith and said, Jesus, I put my trust in you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. I've taken that initial step of faith. Now what? A lot of people believe that faith is something that just accumulates over time, that somehow God will give us more faith randomly. Mm -hmm. At random times, pop, here's some more faith, which is absolutely crazy. It's absurd. (laughs) I wish it were that easy, Ron. (laughs) It would be nice. (laughs) But it's not. Scripture actually tells us in the 12th chapter of the book of Romans that to every one of us has been given a measure of faith. So God doesn't just give you extra measures of faith whenever you need more faith, but rather he's given you a measure of faith. Now, stick with me for a moment and think about this. Faith is kind of like your muscles. Your muscles that you have today are the same muscles that you were born with. They didn't get bigger because you got more muscles. You never said, God, I would like to be stronger. Please give me an extra set of biceps. That'd be crazy talk, right? So you're not going to get more faith necessarily, but we can grow the faith that we have, just like you'd grow the muscles that you already have. You do that through working them out, through eating the right food, through doing the right types of exercises. We talked last week about how doubt can almost work like a faith strengthener because as the doubt pulls your arm down, you pull that back up and build your faith muscle just like you would a normal muscle. Also, though, as we build our faith, we can build that through the correct type of nutrients, specifically spending time learning God's word, spending time growing with other believers, Hmm. applying what God's word tells me, all those things, and then dealing with doubt when it comes up, build my faith and grow my faith. Once you take a step of faith, don't just sit back expecting that your faith will blossom into a faith giant, but rather realize that every day you can grow that faith by eating the right spiritual food, by doing some spiritual exercise, and by putting your faith into practice and actually completing your faith by what you do. In First Thessalonians, Paul writes them a letter in that first chapter of the first letter to them. He says, uh, I'm constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness or your perseverance and hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. There's this idea of Paul recognizing in this group of believers and this little church that there's a labor, there's a work that goes with faith. This idea of fellowshipping together, of spending time with each other, of asking each other the difficult questions, of supporting each other in time of doubt. And that he says that they labored together in their love. And then that produced this perseverance or the steadfastness of hope and says that it starts with that work of faith, the idea that we actually do exercise in such a way to build our faith and make it stronger. But all of that, this faith, this love, and this hope that take place in the life is centered around the person of Jesus Christ. And again, if you're listening this week and you're thinking that that you're interested in this kind of thing, you realize the role of faith and the value of faith in your life, but you're really not quite sure what this message of Christianity is all about, we would encourage you to explore the person of Jesus Christ. Faith is imperative for our relationship with him. He invites us to trust him, not just take note of him, not just to assent to the idea of what he is and what he believed and what he taught, but to trust in who he is and what he did. 
And this is simply what we call the gift of salvation, the gift of him rescuing us in our loneliness, in our sadness, in what the Bible calls our sinful state of being alienated from God. I encourage you to explore the person of Jesus Christ, studying him, studying the Bible, and giving your life to him in this role of faith, of trusting him, and the love and the hope that comes from that will never betray you. We're so glad you've been listening to this discussion about faith, and if you'd like to grow more in your faith, if you're a college student, please come to Connect this week. Connect meets every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. at the Student Life Center at Room 119. Joining Ron and I today is Jerry, and Jerry runs the River Run for Orphans. Jerry, why don't you tell us a little bit about the River Run for Orphans? Well, the event's coming up on September 17th, right here at the Clock Tower at Fort Lewis College. And the goal is to create resources for orphans. So how can students get involved with you this weekend? Well, you can uh, sign up to participate in the event so they can run and walk. What they also could do is they could get sponsors and take that money and invest it in the lives of orphans. Well, Jerry, what time does the event start and where could they find you? 8.30 in the morning by the clock tower is pre-registration will start. and It'll be $20. It's going to be an exciting day. Last year, the event raised $51,000 for orphans. Amazing. It's amazing that right here in Durango, right here at Fort Lewis College, we truly can impact the entire world through this event called the River Run for Orphans. Thanks again for listening. I'm Nate Herbst. And I'm Ron Martin. We hope you listen in again next week.